Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest today is Nicolas Kenny, the author of The Feel of the City, Experiences of Urban Transformation, and the book was published by University of Toronto Press in 2014. I'm especially excited about this interview because... Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest today is Nicolas Kenny, the author of The Feel of the City, Experiences of Urban Transformation, and the book was published by University of Toronto Press in 2014. I'm especially excited about this interview because Nicolas is one of my colleagues in the Department of History at Simon Fraser University. And while we both live in the Vancouver area, he's actually joining me from Brussels, one of the two cities that the book focuses on. Hi there, Nicolas. Hi, Roxanne. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. I've had the, uh, the chance to hit, listen to many of your, your interviews over the last little while, and I'm really honored to be, uh, to be on the other side this time. Could you get us started by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what got you interested in the questions and issues that you explore in the book? Sure. Well, the book really looks at, well, as the title says, the feel of the city. What does it feel like to live in an urban environment? And I've always really been been interested in, in cities ever since I was a kid, really. I I, I just loved the the atmosphere, the action, the movement. And and as a student um, living in Montreal, I, I, I just really enjoyed walking around that city. And then I got to know Brussels and and and, and was fascinated by by the architecture and by the layout. And and I kept coming back to this question because these were both cities that 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 were really changed in the late 19th century. The, the, the way they look today is really a legacy of the late 19th century. And I kept wanting to know, well, what did it feel like? What is it, what did it mean to, to, to be part of this when it, when it was all happening, when all of this was being created, when it was being built? And I remember the thing that really got me going. I mean, because this, this book is, is uh, based on my doctoral dissertation and, and, and that, project started when I was doing um, a walking tour. I'd been asked to organize a, a walking tour of an industrial neighborhood in, in, in Montreal. And it was, a, it was an, the, the, the Faubourg des Récollets, just outside of the old city. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it was an area that, that during the height of, of the Industrial Revolution was, was really a, you know, an action-packed sort of place. And then after the 30s and, and then especially, uh, you know, after the Second World War and deindustrialization and all that, it, it, it had gone sort of dormant. And then this was in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was being kind of re, uh, re, re, uh, reinvested, I guess, reappropriated by the, by the new technology uh, sector. And so they were building these new buildings that were sort of echoing uh, the old factories and warehouses uh, in the area. And so that was what my walking tour was about. But I, I kept kind of contemplating these old factories and, and warehouses, places that we think of as being really functionalist places. And yet they were designed with such a uh, an attention to aesthetics and detail. And I, I guess I just wanted to know more about you know, what, what was going through people's minds when, when, they were, when they were building these cities. 
In the introduction to the book, Nicola, you, you map out the project as one that seeks to, and I'm quoting here, situate uh, corporeal experiences at the epicenter of urban modernity. And you say that the body played a fundamental role in mediating the relationship between city dwellers and urban environments. So I want to ask you about some of the building blocks of this mission that you're on in the book, some of the key terms and concepts that you are working with and interrogating in the book. And I guess the the, the biggest one is this idea of the feel, right? This idea of sensation and corporeality and the body. And I just wonder if you could say a little bit about, you know, where you see your book making an intervention in these these literatures of body and feeling and sensation. Sure. Well, I, I think it's a it's um, it's a literature that's actually come a long way since since I you know first started working on this many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, back. Then I, you know, I was reading about industrialization in, in these two cities, and I was a little bit frustrated by the the way. I mean, there were excellent studies on on the topic, but they they all seemed kind of dry in a way, very very much disconnected from 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 this question I had been I, I I was mentioning earlier about the way people actually felt inside when when they were experiencing all of this, and so. You know, there's 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 great studies on industrialization as a as an economic process, the, the, the social implications of, 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 of industrial capitalism and, and all that. But I guess I wanted to bring it down. And this, this kind of goes back to what, what got me interested in, in, in the first place. I wanted to bring it down to the level of, you know, the person walking through the street and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that goes back to, um, again, my own experiences of, of, of living in, in, in these cities that have been shaped by industrialization and, and, and that are still uh, centers of manufacturing in some ways today, though obviously much less. But, but you, you smell things, you, you see things, you hear things. And all of that, for me as an individual, was really shaping the way I thought about and was experiencing and, 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 and the ideas I was developing about my own environment. And so I guess I wanted to transpose that, that particular, um, uh, set of questions that I had about my own, you know, my own life in, in, in the city and, and kind of transpose it to this historical period where, where all this was, was, was happening. Um, and so one of the ways I think, well, there's probably a lot of ways that, that a person could do that, but what I was attracted to was the work of, uh, people like Alain Corbin and, uh, and Richard Sennett, who, um, uh, Constance Classen, David Howes, you know, historians, anthropologists, sociologists who, who started, who, who, who put together this, this idea of, of, uh, history of the senses and, mm-hmm. and, and problematizing something that really, I think, uh, we take for granted. And I think the history of the senses now, it's quite amazing to see all the, all the new works that are, that are coming out. But, uh, for a long time, these people were really, uh, pioneers because, um, sensorial experiences, how, how something smells, how something sounds, I think for a long time was considered, um, well, at best something that the historian couldn't really possibly grasp anyway, uh, and at worst something, uh, you know, trivial and didn't really matter and wasn't sort of worthy of serious historical inquiry. Like, so, so I, you know, I was really interested in, in, in kind of taking this, these sort of big processes like industrialization, like urbanization, mm-hmm. and trying to uh, think about them in terms of these very basic day-to-day 
uh, taken for granted experiences that we have and, and taking a step back and saying, well, maybe we shouldn't take these things for granted because there's a lot bound up in the way things smell and in the way things sound, right? There's a, there's, there's all kinds of, of, of social uh, relationships at, at stake in there. And there's all kinds of cultural construct constructions at play uh, as well. So I, I really want to, um, do this, do, you know, take the study of urbanization and, and industrialization uh, away from kind of the, the big meta processes and, and, and bring it down to the level of, of the person walking in the street. Mm-hmm. And throughout the book, Nicola, you're also engaged with what, well, historical actors, but also historians and other scholars think about this incredibly contested term, modernity. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask you before we go any further, how you deal with modernity, um, what the term means for you in the book, and and how you see the the book as a contribution to debates or discussions about, about that term. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I think that's something I struggled to, I struggled with from from start to finish, from from the beginning of the project to the to the very end of it, um, because modernity is a, a contested term. It's also a multifarious term. It, it, it means all kinds of things to, to all kinds of different people. And so it's a complicated concept to work with in that sense. It, uh, it's hard to pin down. It's hard to define to the point where um, there's some very uh, respectable scholars who have preferred just to do away with it. And in fact, uh, I, I was, you know, as I was getting feedback along the way, I had people tell me, well, you know, why do you need to look at this through modernity? Aren't there mm-hmm. other ways, you know, what, what does modernity really um, mean anyway? How, how does it matter? But, but I, I really stuck with the idea, with the concept, because I think it, it's, um, well, I don't want to sort of recite the whole, the whole, the whole <laughs> on it, but, but I, I think what it comes down to is that it, it really, um, is a useful way of grasping the the um, the way people were relating to the changes, the, the the really unprecedented changes going on around them. And in this sense, I was really influenced, like a lot of people who who who, who work with modernity. I was influenced by by the work of of Marshall Berman here, and mm-hmm. and the way he talks about you know, the movement of the person uh, through the street, the poet uh, and the mire of the macadam and all that. And the, the, the way that um, our environment is, is, is in flux, especially in the, in the, you know, in this period of, of industrial capitalism, of industrial or of, of urbanization, right? Uh, this, this is a, a period in which, Things, uh, as Berman says, everything seems to be, uh, quoting Marx, you know, everything, uh, all that is solid is m- melts into air. Everything seems to be falling apart. People are, you know, sort of don't know where to look anymore to kind of make sense of, of, of their world. And so I think using modernity allows us to kind of grasp that, that sort of questioning that's happening. Um, and it also allows us, this is the other really important thing I think is that it, it, it allows us to see things not as, uh, not, you know, not as, not as uh, kind of uh, progress uh, versus um, uh, backwardness or, you know, modernity has been, been, been critiqued as sort of, 
are propping up really awful things like war and on a global scale and colonialism and and and, and these kinds of, uh, of of processes that 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 are seen as um, or that were seen at the time as this kind of forward moving progress. So so, but modernity isn't necessarily about uh, about progress in the sense uh, as it is about the way some people have sort of used this notion of, of, of change and, and, and transformation to support a kind of progress-oriented agenda. But at the same time, it's also been a space of, of, of resistance, of contestation, of pushing back against these trends, right? So, uh, so I, I think what modernity allows us to do is to grasp that, that, that complexity of, 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 of change of how people are relating to it, of 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 um, this ideology of making of building the city as a as a rational, clean, orderly uh, place, set against this kind of resistance to that orderliness, the, the the chaos. It allows us to pick up on that that movement, that motion, that that, that chaos. And the other thing, and the last thing I want to say about this mm-hmm. is that. People at the time define themselves as modern, and I think that's important when we consider a historical period. It's less uh, we you know we we need to whether or not we believe that modernity happened in, in a certain way or not. The people um, who we study here in this in this case certainly saw themselves as participating in something big um and so we need to question well what did that mean to them right mm-hmm. and i think that 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 those are sort of the the, the 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 broader questions through which i then wanted to think about how uh how that experience um happened manifested itself on a very kind of tangible level so i've asked you about the, the this notion of the feel and we've sort of just talked about this idea of urban transformation and change so i want to zoom in on this idea of experience and mm-hmm. how and what that term means for you i mean it's certainly a contested term not just for historians but other scholars um and i want to ask you sort of more specifically what evidence and sources you used in the book to get at the person on the street the the, the mm-hmm. experience of this modern urban landscape that interests sure. you yeah, experience is 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 indeed it's it's another one of these kind of contested uh, terms, and especially in the wake of kind of uh, postmodern um, thought, um, there there was there's a, a tendency, I think, at some point to want to question. Uh, whether experience really means anything, whether it's not all, it's not all um, uh, sort of bound up uh, by language, uh, whether, whether what we think of as experience is not in fact kind of a, a, a linguistically constructed uh, notion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people like, um, like Joan Scott and, and, and Patrick Joyce have written very uh, interesting work on this. But at the same time, um, I, I think what what it comes down to is 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 that we still, you know, whether it's linguistically constructed or not, you know, the peop- we still have we still feel things we still uh, we still smell things we still hear things we still see things, uh, and certainly the people that I'm studying in this book were were very. Um, attuned to to these sensorial experiences that they that, that they were having, so um, I think we need to be 
careful not to reify the experience, these experiences, not to, not to sort of take them for granted as, as being kind of authentic markers of, 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 of how things actually were. I mean, uh, you know, the way something smelled or the way something sounded um, is, is, is kind of a, a basic physiological thing, but then that takes meaning because of the social and linguistic processes through which it gets articulated and, 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 and this experience enters uh, the discourse, right? But at the same time, there's a, there is a fundamental contact between, between the body and the space in which it's, uh, it's moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that, that's where I situate uh, experience. You know, as I said, being being careful to uh, consider the the, the the social constructs uh, behind that, and so where well, where, how do you get at that? Um, what I wanted to do here is really try to get a range uh, of sources, and 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 what I found really exciting about doing this research is that it seemed like no matter where I looked, people were talking about their sensorial or corporeal or bodily experiences of, of the city. No matter what I was reading about any kind of description about the city, it seemed that 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 that, that was the lens through which it was represented. And I thought, okay, well this mm-hmm. this means something. If there's this kind of consistent uh you know use of this sort of language in describing the city, I think it's speaking to something, to 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 a phenomenon that's happening. So um so, so I really wanted to hear a, a range of voices, and 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 you kind of—it's uh, easy to fall into the to the trap of of kind of focusing on uh, elite or middle class kind of uh, commentators of of urban life who who had you know who wrote really interesting things, but but who represent a certain uh, kind of viewpoint, and, and and those people are definitely there because they. They dominated the, you know, the, 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 the they were the people who wrote things down, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the late centuries. So, so you've got a lot of, so the first, the first place I looked was in, you know, municipal archives. Um, and so you've got the, you know, the writings of, 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 uh, municipal, administrators, politicians, uh, planners, engineers, this kind of class of, of, of uh, urban professionals that are, uh, you know, people that are shaping the, the city at, at the time. But at the same time, you've got, you've got citizens of, you know, urban residents of all sorts of backgrounds writing letters and, um, and, and, and signing petitions and going to see their neighbors and, Getting together to, to complain about the noise that a that a that a, a factory is making, or or the smell, or of 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 of, of you know something burning over here, or or, or whatever, and and, and people, um, you, you, you through those through those um, uh, municipal archives, you 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 hear you end up hearing quite a, a range of, of voices of, of of men and women of, of, of people from different uh, social backgrounds. So there so there was that kind of uh, sort of formal uh, urban uh, type of uh, urban administration type of source. But then you, I, I was really interested too in how people were representing the. Uh, the city in more imaginative ways. So I looked uh, um, at a lot of, um, of, of fiction, you know, novels, and poetry, which again uh, speak to how people were, were were representing those 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 experiences. I I looked at the popular press. I looked at almanacs. I looked at mm-hmm. um, travel guides. Um, how did you choose? <laughs> I mean, like you say, you know, if if these this way of talking about things or representing things is everywhere, how did you make some of those choices? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think I, one of the things I accepted very early on is that it, it wasn't going to be an exhaustive um, overview of sure. you know, every possible perspective on the city. I mean, but uh, I guess I was interested in different uses of of, of urban space, and so the, the so and and this is how the the, the book kind of gets structured in the especially in the in the in the second part of it, um, you know. The first thing was 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 factories and industry, you know, the, the the industrial world. So you know, um, I was looking at you know the reports of, of factory inspectors. I was looking at mm-hmm. testimonials before uh, labor commissions. So in, in some ways, um, I, my starting point was was often kind of the well known sources on those topics that I wanted to kind of read a bit differently because a lot of people have worked with factory inspection reports and. Mm-hmm. and uh, labor commissions, uh, but haven't necessarily looked for these kinds of, of sensorial uh, language in them before. Um, so then, the other another theme was 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 housing. So um, I looked at the at the files of of um, or organizations, uh, what they called in, in Brussels, any anyway, patronage committees. You know, uh, these these sort of uh, very bourgeois kind of. Um, uh, Charitable organizations, if you will, that were designed or, or constructed to try to help working, you know, the, the deserving poor, the you know, working class people into uh, more uh, respectable types of accommodations. There's a very loaded uh, kind of um, language in these in these things about moral propriety and and, and all this, mm-hmm. but it's always sort of there's always this undercurrent of of of, of, of sensorial language, which again I, I wanted to tease out. So really. Based on the, the the specific kind of theme that I was focusing on, uh, you know, I would start with um, with uh, uh, kind of the, the, the sort of classic sources, and then sort of try to branch out a little bit. Um, and again, it, it goes back to what I was saying about wanting to look at um, industrialization in in a more kind of uh, cultural, imagine, imaginative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, as, as a cultural problem, as opposed to as an economic or, or a social problem. So um, I wanted to talk about industrialization, but from the perspective of what you know, novelists had to say about it. Or, so, 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 I guess to 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 get down to it, it was sort of starting from the, the well-known sources and then trying to branch out to more kind of imaginative things. So before we get into talking about the the subsequent chapters in the book, I just want to ask you one more kind of setup question, which is that the book covers the period from 1880 to 1914. And that's not, well, it's not an unknown <laughs> time span. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's one that I've seen before or we've seen mm-hmm. before. Um, can you say a little bit about why you cover that time period, those bookends, what your choice uh, of those two dates reflects? Yeah, it, it's it is a it is a sort of a conventional in a way uh, conventional form of uh, chronology, um, but it's also it, it, it it's also it, it works quite well in terms of the experiences of of, of these two cities with industrialization. Um, the eighteen eighties, uh, both Montreal and Brussels really start to to pick up uh, after the uh, the the. Uh, 1870s with with kind of uh, economic crisis and depression and all that. And there's there's kind of a new impulse to industrialization in, as of roughly 1880. Right? These are these are quite sure. uh, 
you know, approximative dates. They, they, um, and then I take it in, to 1914. In 1914, the obvious uh, endpoint because the the war comes and, and changes everything fundamentally, especially in Brussels, uh, because the city mm-hmm. is is occupied by. Uh, by 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 German troops, and so the the um, the whole rapport to the urban environment changes because now all of a sudden you're not in a, in a, in a kind of uh, uh, expanding industrial economy anymore. You're 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 under military uh, occupation, starvation, uh, death, suffering. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very different way of relating to your environment. All of a sudden, and I think my I think the argument works for Montreal. As well, in the sense that even though uh, the war is happening in in, in Europe, um, the you when you when you look at this at, at the way people are talking about the city as of nineteen fourteen, there's a there's a definite kind of toning down of the excitement. Uh, there's uh, you know the, the the war is having a, a, a both an both an economic but also I guess in a way a, a kind of a psychological impact on 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 people as well. So. So it's a uh, it's 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 1880 to 1914 is 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 in a way uh, it, it's it's a relatively short period so it allows you to really um, kind of get into that daily life. It's hard to do daily life, I think, mm-hmm. over a hundred years or over two hundred years when when you're working with a, a short period. I think as a as a researcher, you really get into the atmosphere of. Of, of 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 the of the era, uh, and that, and that's what I was trying to do is trying to try to tease out the, the nuances of, of that atmosphere. So so I want to focus on something short. I want to focus on something that corresponded to a certain set of of realities in both of the places that I was looking at, uh, and then I wanted. Um, um, to, to use this period because it was, uh, a, you know, it was kind of a, a heyday of, of industrial modernity in a way. So, Nicola, the book is a, a tale of two cities, to use a cheap uh, reference, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Montreal and Brussels. Uh, and you're contributing to this, you know, complex and vast literature of urban history and urban geography and ways of thinking about cities, some of it uh, comparative and transnational but you focused on Montreal and Brussels. So why these two cities? What did they have in common? Um, How did they diverge? You know, what's the, what's the setup here in terms of the two places that you've chosen to focus on in the book? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a question I get asked a lot. I think, um, there's 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 a lot of, of reasons I want to work with with two uh, these two cities uh, in, in particular. Um, the, the project started as I said I, I I was living in in Montreal. I was fascinated by Montreal. I wanted to work on Montreal, but I also wanted to think about how Montreal's experiences. Uh, Reflected in light of uh, uh, of what other cities were going through, and and in particular in Europe, because this kind of industrial modernity is 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 a is really kind of a Western phenomenon. If 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 we can if we can say that, I mean it's 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 um I, I don't want to I don't want to imply by that that modernity isn't having very real uh, consequences in, in places that that aren't understood as as the West. I mm-hmm. mean, and, and I, I know it, it. I don't like to say that because it's, it's a it's a it's a really problematic kind of uh, conceptualization. But uh, modernity is happening in Europe and in and in North America, and it's 
and both of these societies are, are, are shaping one another. And there's a lot of back and forth between these two places. And so I wanted to think about Montreal in, in, initially in a, in a broader sense than just Montreal. And I wanted to set it, set it against uh, somewhere else that was in, in some ways equivalent. And I think Brussels uh, worked well. Um, Paris is always seen as, you know, the, the, the capital of the 19th century, the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, urban, um, center par excellence in the, in this period. And, and, and when I, when I, uh, when I teach urban history, you know, I, there's a lot of material on, on Paris in my classes because, it, because it's such an exciting, uh, context to study, uh, the city of, as, as you, know, you know, you just have to think of the work of, of, of David Harvey and so mm-hmm. many other. Um, but, Cities like Montreal and Brussels were 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 in a way more typical of of these of these processes because uh, more more people lived in these sort of smaller uh, mid sized cities that were kind of in the in the orbit of all these changes and weren't necessarily pushing them forward like Paris was like London was like New York would later on uh, but they but 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 they were very much. Um, Influ- very, very influential in in, in shaping uh, the, the 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 way that urbanization uh, was happening, and 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 in terms of, of of people's experiences, not everybody lived in the big the small number of big cities. There were there were a lot more people living in uh, a, a, a larger number of smaller cities. If you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. so I think I, I wanted to in, in some way move away from the, 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 the kind of the, the, the big, the big names in, in the field, like, like Paris and, uh, you know, take, take it down to these kind of, um, sort of secondary cities that, that were, that, that maybe don't get looked at in this particular way, uh, all, all, all that much. Um, and then of course I wanted to think about cities that, that um uh you know you when you start thinking comparatively uh you you want to work with with uh with 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 two or more uh, sets of objects that 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 you're comfortable handling together right mm-hmm. so so studying montreal with, in a comparison with, with with paris i think would have just uh you know wouldn't have worked all that well um because of the because of the difference in in scale and mm-hmm. in size and important. So, so Montreal and Brussels are undergoing similar transformations at around the same time. They're also roughly similar in size. They're also cities that are uh, shaped by their by their by their by their cultural diversity, um, by uh, their unique. Both of them have unique kind of. Uh, Location in the in 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 the, in the natural geography of of of, of their of their um, respective uh, countries, um, but also they are participating in these broader trends that are happening on a on a transatlantic and and even a global scale at this time. In the second chapter of the book, Nicola, you really focus on the way the city is visually represented. I mean, you, you the book explores the sensory experiences of the city in all sorts of ways. Um, but the, the visual representation, this chapter was particularly fascinating to me. And you talk about this idea of representing the city and the urban landscape in terms of panorama and labyrinth. And I really wanted to ask you to say more about those two things 
um, those two ways of figuring the city and how they impact uh, the sensory experience of, of urban life. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what's interesting with with sensory uh, descriptions of, of of urban centers is is the way that the the first kind of the, the first impulse you get is often a visual one. You, mm-hmm. you, you know the, the descriptions the descriptions of of smell of sound of touch are there of taste even although those I found a bit harder to get at. Um, but but it's 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 um, it's really uh, uh, sight that seems to predominate, and this is nothing. You know, this is nothing new. If you know, the historians of the senses have long talked about the way that sight was the sort of m- considered the most noble of the senses. The way mm-hmm. it was the sort of hierarchy of the senses, and sight is at the top because it's it's understood to be rational and it's a sight you know it's a sense of observation of knowledge of authority of power of masculinity all, all these things mm-hmm. whereas the you know the other senses are are um especially you know smell and taste are considered more uh, you know, animalistic and and unreliable and instinctive um and they're often gendered feminine to 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 kind of you, you know use that that um analogy and so, so I guess I, I kind of wanted to start start with that because it was what jumped out at me uh, the most, uh, and then proceed to um, to 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 unpack it using using the other senses. So the notion of panoramas is quite interesting because you get an incredible diversity of panoramic uh, representations of cities during this uh, during this era. Um, it's it's I think in in a way. Um, the, these are often very celebratory images of the city. They're 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 the kind of the triumphalist mode, right? Um, and and in a way, when you when you step back from 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 the the action and the and the movement and the dirt, and you look at the city from afar or from above, everything seems to fall into place, right? Everything seems very orderly. So, representing the city through panoramas was a way for the for the urban bourgeoisie of the time to um, to impose a certain order to express their mastery uh, over 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 their environment, um, and so there's all kinds of and they and they do they they do this in, in, in all sorts of ways. Uh, so I so I try to contrast different types of, of of uses of the panorama and some that really focus on um, on the city uh, you know as a whole, but but leaving out you know important things like that big industrial neighborhood right there that you you know that they're not talking about when they're when they're going on about the churches and the and the and the monuments and the and the trees surrounding them right so there's a there's a kind of a willful erasing of 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 things that are kind of inconvenient in there others use that panorama um as a way to Take those factories and those smokestacks and those and those uh, you know, steamships and and turn them into something that's aesthetically pleasing and soothing and that signs of, of progress and of, of modernity and all that. Um, and so there's 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 all kinds of ways in which the 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 the, the, the panorama functions to uh, celebrate the city. But then when if you contrast that against uh, more you know descriptions of of the city that are sort of on the ground that are that are taken from the street that are taken from the 
from the factory that, that still consider the city as a whole, because as we'll get to the, 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 the other parts of the book, try to kind of break up the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but here I wanted to talk about it in its, uh, in its entirety. Uh, but, but all of a sudden when you're, when you step off of the, of the mountaintop or the Belvedere or whatever, and you get down into the street and, and then you're confronted with the, with, with the, with the other, with the crowds and with the, with, with the stench and with the, 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 the cacophony of the, of, of the environment, all of a sudden the other senses start to, start to, be much more predominant in, in in discussions of the city. So, so what I wanted to do in, in in was 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 really to contrast these two ways of seeing from afar and from within as a way to highlight the uh, the the multiple manifestations of, of 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 sensorial experiences in in these descriptions of the city as a whole. Before then, you know, going into the various sections. So, in the second part of the book, you really. Um do what you just what you just described this um dividing the city up into well really you follow kind of the course of the day right work sleep mm-hmm. home leisure family mm-hmm. um so i wanted to ask you about that that decision you know to 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 mm-hmm. break up the book along those lines um and then to see if you could give us some examples of the types of materials that you're working with in that in that in those chapters in the book and uh and how they contribute to this kind of broader history of the, the senses in the in the urban landscape. Sure. Well, um, the the idea to 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 break it up into these three. So 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 what I've done is that there's a chapter on kind of the industrial uh, world, you know, the world of the factory. Of the mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a a chapter on on the home, and then a chapter on the street, where you know, kind of people spend important parts of their day. Uh, uh, at work in the in the factory or observing the factory uh, at home uh, and then in the spaces in, in between and and this roughly and the, the kind of the image I use to illustrate this is this kind of is the eight hour movement that's very uh, uh, prevalent in 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 Montreal and, and in Brussels at, at this time uh, and in, especially in Brussels where they call it the the three eights so mm-hmm. eight hours for work eight hours for rest and eight hours for leisure um, and so this is of course uh, an ideal way of 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 of, of thinking about time. Uh, it, it doesn't really happen until much, uh, much, much later uh, mm-hmm. than period. But what's interesting about that that um, way of framing in life under industrial modernity is that it 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 takes a day and it separates it into spaces and into the things that we do in those spaces, right? And so that those were those were my my. my you know, my fundamental questions about how people interacted are were interacting with these spaces. So, so, so I wanted to look at these different, the different beats of this rhythm mm-hmm. uh, um, of this kind of work, sleep, uh, uh, leisure, knowing that, as I say, it's a, it's a problematic uh, construct. And, and one of the things that I point out is that, is that not only is it an ideal that doesn't actually really uh, happen, but it's also a very masculine ideal right. because of course the, 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 the women that I talk about in the book were, um, you know, except for the ones who worked in factories, they, 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 this idea of, of separating the day was, 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 well, at best a luxury because, uh, because their, because their, their, their work life and their home life was so, so intertwined, whether they were, whether their responsibilities were, 
uh, you know, for the, for the home or whether they were doing outside paid labor, but, but in the home, um, you know, that, that, so, so, so I'm very aware that this is, this is kind of an image that, that, that I'm working with, mm-hmm. but it allowed me to think about, um, uh, you know, the, the industrial city as it was being, uh, conceptualized in this, in this, in this kind of movement, which was, which was, um, promoted primarily by, uh, labor groups and, 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 um, labor po- political parties, but that also had a surprising, um, uh, a following among uh, certain industrialists who thought, well, if we actually if we did this, our workers would be uh, better rested and happier and more productive, and, and everybody would 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 um, would uh, benefit, right? So, so there was there was actually a, a number of, of of capitalists who who actually bought into this notion as well, which is which is interesting. So again, it it sort of reaches different um, ways, uh, you know, di- di- different perspectives. Uh, mm-hmm. of, So, Nicola, you've talked about, we've talked about the different types of sensation in terms of smell and touch and taste and sight. Um, And I'm just wondering about the way that the book uh, communicates with this exploding literature on emotion and affect. You know, you say the feel of the city. So how do you engage with those other types of feelings uh, in the book? Well, I think that's what I really liked about the word feel is that it allows you to uh, access those different uh, dimensions of, uh, of feeling both in a, in a kind of physical way, as well as, as in an emotional way, there's kind of a, um, there's a, a slippage that happens there between the, the, the physical sensation and how that gets translated into an emotional uh, reaction. And, and, and I think going back to what I, my, my objectives, uh, with, with, with this book was really to think about, okay, how do these brute physical, uh, material, um, sensations get translated into uh, ideas, imaginations, conceptualizations uh, of the city. So, so, I, so I really wanted to work with that um, uh, uh, that that duality, right? That that notion of of feeling having both a, having both a physical and a mental uh, sense to it, and, and kind of thinking about the way that the two shape one another. Now, I think pro- the the book really does highlight the um the, the the physical side of that of that dynamic i i think there was so much to say in terms of of of, of those sensorial experiences of those sounds and smells and all the rest of it um that that the emotional uh engagement with the city um didn't i, I guess I, I just sort of ran out of time in, in a way to, to 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 engage with that as as fully as i would have liked to so i think if i if i could critique my own work that, that that's the main thing that that i would say but uh no have no fear that that that's the next thing i want <laughs> Um, you, uh, this is kind of dialing back a bit to the, to the discussion that we just had about panorama and labyrinth, but I wanted to ask you about some of the new technologies that are emerging, um, in the same period that you're working on, you know, photography, early cinema, some of these kinds of things. And I was thinking as I was reading the book about not only the feel of the city and the experience of the city, but then the bodily experience of experiencing. (laughs) I mean, and you talk about this when you talk about panorama and labyrinth, and I'm just wondering about, I mean, it, it's kind of fascinating to me and, and impressive to me how much you had to take on in doing this study, how you deal with this, this, this question of 
the new technologies that are emerging around uh, the the fin de siècle and the turn of the century that that you're dealing with in the book. Mm-hmm. Well, I think those those new technologies are, are 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 interesting because they are generating both new feelings, new new sensations, um, and, and that's very clear. I think when I talk about uh, the you know the factories and the machinery and how people. Mm-hmm relating to those things uh, through their bodies, uh, you know, the, the, the stress that, 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 that those realities were, were, were placing uh, on, on the body. Um, but they also generate new, new, they, sorry, I'll go back. They, they generate new feelings, but they also generate, I think, new ways of feeling. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. here of, of, of work by people like Jonathan Crary, who, 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 who really get into this and, 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 um, what it means, what, what, so if you take the sense of sight, well, what that means, what it means to the, 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 the gaze that is cast upon the city, uh, uh, changes because all of a sudden it's being represented, um, in different ways, you know, using different technologies, using, as you say, this, the start of, uh, photography, photography is a great example. There's, I talk about that a, a, mm-hmm. a little um, People are all of a sudden seeing the city very differently because they're seeing it through the lens of uh, of a camera, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that's what, what's what's interesting too about this period is that the way uh, that, that that these um, new technologies are 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 not only the the, the generators of of new feelings of new ways of feeling, uh, but but or of, of, of new sensations, but of of of, of new um, they, they themselves, are, I guess, are playing an active role in shaping that relationship to space. You talk in the book about you certainly engage, you know, the lines of class difference and um, gender, the sort of, especially with respect to the distinctions between or the kind of leaky distinctions between public and private and home mm. and work. Um, are there other lines of you know, when we talk about the body in the city, we know that there are yeah. multiple cities and there are multiple bodies. So I just sure. wondered if you could talk about that, the different kinds of bodies that you're dealing with. I, I even, you know, thinking about this, I was thinking about age, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some of these other things and how, how you deal with those, all those different types of bodies that are moving in the city. Yeah, that, that I think that's a really good question. And it's, it, it's a really uh, challenging uh, mm-hmm. aspect of doing this this kind of work because you're trying to make uh, you know as as historians do we're trying to weave through all this information and 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 try to come out out of it with 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 a kind of a uh, vaguely coherent understanding of a phenomena um, but at the same time when we're talking about bodily senses and 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 experience and movement um, it, it's something that uh, of course, is so individual in a lot of ways that that is shaped by all kinds of things. And the, the example of, of the the you raise gender, uh, age, uh, class, ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, ability versus disability. Uh, you know all these uh, all these things. So, um, and and I try to tease out various uh, examples of, of of that in the book. But in a general sense, I think. What, what, the way that we can kind of get past that is, 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 is thinking about, um, sen- the senses in a social, uh, context, right? That, um, particular, and, and I think we can probably say this about the, the emotions as well, but particular ways of feeling, particular ways of, of, um, 
of, of, of seeing, of smelling, go beyond the individual experience uh, as people kind of share, uh, talk about, you know, actualize these experiences through language, um, there's, there's broader social meanings uh, mm-hmm. that, that underlay the significance of a particular smell as being equated with, with something, you know, evil or, or, or morally corrupt versus another one that's associated with cleanliness and, 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 and high moral virtue and all that. So, so it's, so, so it's really much more than just what the individual Mm-hmm. feeling but rather how those sensations start to shape a broader social discourse right so i so i think um we need to be very aware of the um, the multiplicity of sensorial experiences along all kinds of lines that that that, that cut across these uh, these realities but at the same time how there's there's kind of broader cultural understandings that emerge that are of course very contested right a um, just to use some of the examples from the book how a, a, an author of a promotional booklet on montreal that's designed to attract uh, investors to the city portrays the panorama portrays the way of of seeing the city differs fundamentally from you know the way um a socialist author in brussels talks about the panorama as a way of of kind of putting you know giving workers their place in 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 that in that environment right so mm-hmm. so so the the ways of seeing are conditioned by different backgrounds by different political agendas but what sort of what sort of comes out of that is that seeing itself or smelling or, or hearing are ways in which people recognize descriptions of, of, of the city, ways of talking about the city, right? Is th- those are those um, physical experiences are common reference to mm-hmm. uh, to understandings of urban space, uh, and from there, of course, they they, they diverge in, in 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 politics and background and objectives and all sorts. Of things. Does the fact that I mean, I know they're not the only cities like this, but does the fact that Montreal and Brussels, you know, I think of them both, having grown up in Montreal, I think of them both as, and, and visited Brussels, I think of them both as cities where there are different languages at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder about the, the sources that you use and the fact that given, given different languages, does that make mm-hmm. it, does that make a difference in terms of your reading of the material? How people, well, in the case of Montreal, you know, how people in English or French, Talk about these things. Yeah, well, I, you know, I was really expecting that it would more than more than it did, and oh. I, I struggled <laughs> with this because I, I want. I mean, you know, I I, I I I was surprised actually by by the way that sensorial experiences were were conveyed, um, were, were 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 laden with meaning that to me anyway, in my reading of them was much more um, class or gender based hmm. than it was uh, linguistic and and but at the same time I thought hey this is kind of good because especially for Montreal um, it's it's another way to look at at the city that 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 goes uh, beyond I mean I think you know ling- ling- linguistic tensions are you know the bread and butter of, of Montreal <laughs> well right <laughs> so so and, and of course it's it's fascinating and I don't want to discredit that there's there's you know there's excellent <laughs> problematizing this but I think we can also think about other 
uh, ways of, of experiencing Montreal that, that weren't necessarily uh, about language uh, per se. And it gets a little bit tricky as well dealing with Brussels because a lot of people say, okay, well, here you go. You've got two bilingual cities. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Except for their bilingualism is very different. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's much more pronounced in Montreal. The linguistic tensions are much more uh, pronounced in Montreal than they are in Brussels at this time. Mm-hmm. The linguistic kind of divide um, or, or uh, that, that, that hits Belgium happens it's it's starting to brew in this period but it but it, it's a it's a society in the early 20th century at the turn of the 20th century that is really structured along ideological uh, lines and the real cleavages in 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 uh in in belgian and in brussels society is is along political lines between catholics and liberals and an emerging uh, um, uh socialist movement so so, so, so language is, is there, but it's not, but it, it, it's kind of, um, it, it, in Brussels at this time, it's still sort of an abstract, uh, political question that's less, I think, um, related to those kind of day to day, uh, sensorial, uh, experiences. And so I guess what I, what I found was that the way people talked about their physical, uh, sensorial engagement with the materiality of their environment, was conditioned much more according to their to their um, to their uh, kind of uh, social grouping or, or 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 whether they were of a certain age or of, uh, whether they were men or women or uh, much much more than 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 language. I, you know, so 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 in a way that the the issue of the the linguistic duality might might be something that needs to be looked into more. It's it's something that. Um, I'll be honest, is, is, is actually somewhat underplayed uh, in, this, in this particular work. Hmm. I just read uh, this morning, <laughs> I just read uh, a piece that you wrote, Nicola, um, for Niche, uh, which maybe you can tell us about that publication mm-hmm. in, in a little bit um, in, in your response. But the, the piece is called One Flew Over the City, Sensorial Experiences of Urban Space. And it's, a, it's an article in which you talk about the contemporary issues in, 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 in Brussels, um, and I just wanted to use that, I guess, as a point of entry to ask you about um, what your thoughts are on how the book contributes to our thinking about change uh, and experience uh, in, in, in the urban landscapes today in Montreal, Brussels, Vancouver, where we both live. Mm-hmm. Um, what your thoughts are on, on that? Yeah. Um, so, so niche is the, um, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> uh, new initiative in Canadian history of the environment. That's, that's what, and there's also a French, uh, uh, acronym, uh, for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, so, so I was very pleased to, 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 to be asked, uh, invited by, by the, uh, by the, um, editors of the of the of the blog that they run to to write a short kind of reflection on uh on this book and on how I see it connecting with with um with uh, the cities that we live in today and so uh I think <laughs> sort of coming full circle to what we were saying at the first at at the start I I I think you know I I'd set out to do this project because of my own um you know physical questions about my own sort of physical 
engagement with or sensorial uh, wanderings uh, through the city and and now i guess i can't help but 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 see that <laughs> everywhere i go so so one of the things I, I i i talk about in this in this article for niche is that so i'm living as you said i'm living in brussels now because i'm on on research leave for a year um and uh when I when I got here, there was a controversy that was raging over uh, flight paths um, over the city. So uh, flights coming in and out of Brussels airports had been rerouted, and suddenly we're going over you know, central residential districts of, of of Brussels. And of course, there's a lot of politics behind this because the kind of um, suburban communities that had uh, over which much of the, the, the flight, the air, air uh, traffic was concentrated before or had had enough. They were, you know, so, you know, there's a certain kind of political uh, spin that gets put on this about how the flights were, were, were rerouted for electoral reasons and, and, and all the rest of it. But what was, but what was really uh, striking about all of this was the, um, uh, the way that, you know, I, I, I arrive in Brussels after not having been here for a number of years, having been here to work on how in the 19th and early 20th centuries people thought about the, the city in terms of their sensorial experiences. And the first thing I find is this <laughs> debate that's happening about noise and, and about the rumblings of the airplane mm-hmm. and the way people can't sleep and about how they're afraid that their, um, their home values are declining and, and, and then, and all of the, all of the houses in my street had these little signs, you know, against this, uh, this new, uh, um, routings. Um, and then, and then there were these kind of big, um, you know, large uh, signs uh, on, uh, on, on, on apartment buildings with, there's one that really troubling kind of this, this young boy is, 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 is crying and he's got an airplane like literally flying through his head. <laughs> feeling. And so there's this, there's this, there's this really, you know, deep uh, engagement. So, so I thought to myself, well, 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 this is, this is interesting. Um, you know, this kind of an interesting episode, but, but, but in a larger sense, uh, I think what all of this reminds us is the extent to which the, um, my, my project tried to, in a way contest uh, or, or, or push back against a, a literature that sees the 19th century uh, and this kind of modernity as, as rational um, or orderly uh, imposition on, on, on urban space mm-hmm. uh, as the beginning of a kind of a desensitization of the body, a, a sanitation mm-hmm. Of, of the city that, that, and, and I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, um, admirer of the work of Richard Sennett and he, he expresses this really well, how, uh, especially since the second world war with, with, uh, freeways and suburbs and the emptying of downtowns, how cities have become these kind of empty dead spaces that our bodies don't connect to anymore. And I thought, okay, well, I think there's probably, you know, a lot of truth to that, but if you kind of, again, if you take it to, uh, if you start to look at these questions on a on a smaller scale of of, of the neighborhood of the city of a short uh, period of time, you start to see how these trends, which are um, attributed to the kind of mid nineteenth to late nineteenth centuries, when when these uh, scholars start to see it happening. So Corbin, for instance, uh, talks about how our our threshold. 
for for scents really uh, diminishes as of the, as of the uh, for smell, pardon me, uh, really diminishes as of the mid nineteenth century, and and that's when you start to get these kind of deadened cities that 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 that, that we don't really um, uh, connect with in a physical sense the way that they might have done uh, two hundred or three hundred uh, years ago, and, that, and there's a, there's some kind of something lost there, um, and and so part of my my objective in 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 doing this project was was, was sort of to problematize that narrative a little bit and say, wait a minute, against these general trends that are, you know, undisputable, um, we, we, we can't just, we can't assume that, um, all of a sudden the body, uh, disappears. We don't maybe talk about it as much as they did in the, in the 19th century. Uh, but, but every once in a while, an episode like, uh, these uh, airplanes flying over Brussels reminds us of just how important that sensorial connection is to the way we think about, organize, uh, and, and, and structure our relationship to the environment that we live in. Well, Nicola, there's so many questions I still want to ask you, but I'm only going to ask you one more, which is what are you working on now? <laughs> yeah, well, um, all kinds of things actually. Um, one of the things that I that I mentioned when we were speaking is that I, I, I the, one of the things that the book, to my mind, maybe didn't do enough was was get into the uh, the emotions, and so so I moved much more into that into that uh, area of of of, of inquiry, um, questioning uh, the the sort of downplaying i guess the the, the sensorial which gets a, a lot of attention in the book and i'm and i'm moving now with with a, a couple of different projects to um thinking about um those the way that gets translated into emotions and how the emotions again i think this is part of a, a an emerging uh, field that's that's really quite exciting that for a long time uh, you, you know and when i teach historiography i have i have texts that i show my students about um uh, historians who say well you know we can't we can't possibly get into the uh, emotional uh, lives of people that, that, that there's kind of a line there that is just uncrossable for, for mm. the historian. We can't go back in time and, and know how people were feeling. And yet uh, just like with the senses, the emotions have a real uh, social uh, um, cultural um, meaning to them. And, and so there's, you know, all kinds of work by people like William Reddy, Barbara Rosenvain, who, who have really brought this uh, to the fore. And, and, and I think there's an, an, an exciting opportunity to think about the emotions with respect to, uh, to, to city life in particular. So I'm still interested in, in, in Montreal and, and, and Brussels, but, um, and I've actually, uh, been working on a piece that, that looks at street lighting in these two cities, uh, and thinks about them in terms of, uh, thinks about, uh, that, pardon me, that looks at street lights in terms of the emotional, uh, responses that they, uh, that they generated in Montreal and Brussels. But I've also been working with the two cities, uh, separately, um, looking at emotional experiences of urban life uh, during and after uh, World War One, um, because I think that's uh, one, one of the things I, I, I talked about was how the book stops in World War One because all of a sudden the war changes everything. Well, I think that gets said a lot, but we need to think maybe more about what it is that the war changes in a city that does get changed, but but even though it's not experiencing the, the war itself. And then the thing that brought me to Brussels is... Um, 
a separate project that that's always been kind of on my back burner, even as I've been working on this. But but I'm but I'm getting more fully into it this year, and 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 hopefully. <laughs> advancing with it, um, is looking at radio broadcasting in the mid-20th century uh, in Brussels uh, and thinking about that uh, in terms of the soundscape and the, uh, the emotional experiences associated with, um, with, the, with radio as really uh, an important and probably the primary means of, of communication for a while there in the mid-20th century. So, so still thinking about some of these uh, issues, but, but, but um, through, through very different uh, projects now. Well, that all sounds fantastic, and I'm excited that I, I know I'll get to talk to you about all of this more. Um, sure. Nicola, thanks so much for joining me and for writing this wonderful book. Well, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and thanks very much for this invitation. 